Welcome to the Ogletree Deacons Podcast, a brief discussion of compelling legal issues and practical insights. Please note that the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be, nor should it be construed as legal advice. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. Please enjoy the program. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots, a podcast by the law firm of Ogletree Deacons for employers and those in their legal safety and HR departments who need to better understand OSHA as an agency and the law that governs it. I'm your host, Philip Russell. I'm a shareholder in the Tampa office of the firm. I have a national practice in which I've handled over 200 fatality OSHA cases and hundreds of other kinds. We have one of the largest and most robust workplace safety and health practice groups in the country. We cover all 50 states with extensive experience in Fed OSHA and state OSHA plans as well. Our approach is simple, but maybe not easy. We help clients avoid or minimize OSHA citations and improve safety along the way. This podcast, by the way, folks, make sure you understand is about education. It's not about legal advice for any specific circumstances. As an employer, we think it's important for you to know what you can and can't do, but also to know what OSHA can and can't do. You can't hold the agency accountable to the law if you don't know something about it. But again, just education here, folks, not specific legal advice. I am so excited today. I am joined by my 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 partner, my friend, Mike Rubin. Mike, say hello. Hey, everyone. Happy to be here to uh, do this podcast with Philip. So today, folks, we're going to talk about, and you saw the title, that's why you're here. We're going to talk about OSHA trials. But before we go into that too much further, Mike, let's talk about you. How long have you been practicing law? So I've been practicing since 2000, and I would say for the last 10 solid years, been handling OSHA matters. All right. And you came to Ogletree, what, about two years ago now, right? Something like that? Just about one year ago. That's correct. Oh, wow. All right. I got that, got my dates wrong there. But, oh, that's awesome. So we're super excited you joined us. You're in, what office are you in? I'm in the Phoenix office. All right. So you're one of our West Coasters. That is a uh, robust practice out there with Kevin Bland and Karen Tynan and others. So you get to uh, learn about the West Coast uh, practice and West Coast states out there, too. But, but you, for a while, you're in the East Coast, though. So you've done some Fed OSHA work and state plans on the East Coast, too. That's right. Actually, for the first 10 years of my career, I worked exclusively in New York City, lived and worked there. So for better or worse, that's where I learned to litigate and then um, started in the Ogletree Raleigh office. And then shortly after starting with this group, moved to the West Coast. So that is true. I'm learning new things, new areas and a new uh, state plan state in Arizona. Well, we are excited you're with us, my friend. Let's jump right in. So OSHA trials, it turns out that is a misleading title because there are, there's no such thing as an OSHA trial. You're not trying a case in front of OSHA. And, and folks, what I mean by that, and then we'll jump in with Mike, because Mike's had a lot of experience had four trials in the last year. So we're going to talk about that and talk about his trials and my trials and give you some thoughts about what it means to try a case, but you don't try a case in front of OSHA. You try the case in front of a completely separate and independent agency. Now, I'm talking about Fed OSHA today, folks. We, state plans vary. There's some very big differences among state plans about how they handle the process once you contest a citation. But today, we're just going to talk about Fed OSHA. Once an employer contests a citation, then it is reviewed. 
and it is reviewed through a litigation process that ultimately could culminate in a trial or a hearing in front of an administrative law judge. That separate independent agency is called the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission, which, Mike, I've always thought is a very unfortunate name because it sounds like OSHA. But OSHRC, the Review Commission, is not part of OSHA. That's right. And oftentimes we have clients ask, can we really get a fair shake? I mean, we're challenging an OSHA citation. We're going before this entity that you've described as the Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission. I mean, OSHA and OSHRC, they share the first three letters or the same. Can we get a really, you know, can we get a fair shake? And I would say, yes, you absolutely can. Just like you said, they're independent entities. Well, one of the things I've found that, that I like about this process, and all this, by the way, was set up in 1970 when Congress said that we're going to create the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. It also created the Review Commission because the legislative interests at the time necessary to pass the bill wanted there to be a separate independent agency reviewing what OSHA was going to do. In other words, Congress didn't want OSHA deciding if OSHA got it right. The, the story there is to me is very fascinating because if you look now at the National Labor Relations Board, that's who the legislators in Congress looked at at the time and said, we don't want to replicate that, where you essentially have the NLRB as the judge, jury, and the executioner for labor law. We didn't want to have that legislatively under the OSH Act. And so that's why you have this independent agency. What I find, and I don't know, tell me if you agree, is that our judges, these judges, they only focus on OSHA cases, right? That's correct. And they really understand the issue. So if you have a judge, let's say, in state court handling civil matters, they might handle a, you know, a ton of different subject matters and different claims. Here you have judges who are really OSHA subject matter experts because they see the same types of cases. They know the applicable law and they really have a decent basis of knowledge. So I think you have very informed, very learned judges. We don't always agree with every single decision because the decision has to go one way or the other. But for the most part, we feel these judges are, are, are really uh, smart and do overwhelmingly a very good job. Yeah, it's just like anything. There are you know some of the judges, I guess, from an employer perspective, you look at it and say, well, you know, Maybe some of these judges, I think, might give me a fairer shake as an employer. But one thing I don't have to worry about is, does this judge know the law? And I've just always experienced, and I think we've experienced just about all of them in, in, among our group. And I've personally experienced at least half. And I just, what I've always respected is that they, they know the law. They, they may just, you may not like their decision, as you said, Mike, but that you don't have to explain to them what the OSH Act is and what an OSHA standard is or the general duty clause. They know. So it really allows you to focus on the presentation of evidence and your witnesses, which we'll get to in a few minutes. But let's, let's just talk about, let's take it from the beginning. We'll spend a few minutes here before we talk about the hearing, but what triggers this process? So if an employer contests a citation, what happens next? So once you submit a notice of contest, eventually the local OSHA area office, right? That's the entity that issues a citation. They transfer their file to the review commission and it gets docketed. So now the file is out of, in some ways, the local OSHA area office's hands and the review commission takes jurisdiction. And then there's a number of, 
uh, you know, basically steps you get through. And eventually, if the case isn't settled or one side doesn't win on a dispositive motion, you go, just like you discussed, you go to a hearing before this administrative law judge. And there are some lawyers on the other side. And we've talked about those folks on the uh, on the podcast before on Dirty Steel Toe Boots, some other episodes. Some of our colleagues used to work there, but it's the, the office of the solicitor of the Department of Labor. That's right. And we found many employers don't appreciate this, which is OSHA, that local OSHA area office and the area directors and inspectors and assistant area directors, they're not lawyers. So when you get a citation, although it is have allegations in it and there are legal elements that need to be proven if OSHA does go to a hearing, it's not initially issued by lawyers only after you contest it if you're the employer. Then the lawyers take over and start looking at it through really a purely legal lens. So it's interesting. It doesn't start out that way when it's in the local OSHA area office's hands, but then it really does become a legal conflict, shall we say, where a judge has to preside over it. Yeah. And what I find is that once you submitted the notice of contest, the next person you talk to, you know, the document, of course, goes on, but that's really just paperwork. The next human you speak to is usually someone from the solicitor's office that wants to talk about the case. They've got to file their complaint. You have to file an answer. But usually at that point, this is a lawyer who, you know, we, we lawyers, we like to win, right? And they're no different than we are. They like to win. And so they begin looking at the case from the perspective of, well, can I sustain this citation? Do I, you know, where, was this pled properly or was this set up properly? Am I going to be able to have the evidence? Do I have it in the file? And so that's a conversation to have. But okay, so that gets the process started, folks. Now what we're going to do is we're going to skip the litigation. Well, some other time we'll come back and talk about the complaint, the answer, the discovery request, getting a copy of OSHA's file, depositions. So I want to go now to, Mike, your experience and talk about the hearing or the trial. And as we explained, it's not an OSHA trial, although we'll just call it that. It's a trial in front of the Review Commission. Let's take the setup there. Who, who's there? Who's hearing the case and who's showing up to present it? Give us, set the scene for us. All right. So when you show up at a hearing, the first person you know who's going to be there is the judge. All right. The judge rules on objections and, and keeps the trial going or the hearing old habits die hard. I always refer to it as a trial. It is a hearing because there is no jury, but the judge is there. And then you have, I guess you could say your adversary, your opponent, opposing counsel, however you want to term it. That's the attorney from the solicitor's office. And then you have yourself, obviously. And then each side has a representative that usually sits through the trial and listens. And then you've got two big, big things that really move every single trial. You've got witnesses who have to give live sworn testimony, and then you've also got documents that get marked usually as exhibits or can be used to cross-examine other witnesses. That, in sum and substance, are all the players and parts of that trial. Osric doesn't have any courtrooms, so where do these trials happen? That's, let's just ask the basic question. What kind of courtroom do you find yourself in for these things? Well, they have to rent out, or they don't rent it out. I don't think they're paying for it, you know, paying for their time. But usually it's a federal courthouse. They have to really, they call around and try to find empty court space because there is no Osric courthouse. So they have to 
find space in courtrooms and other courthouses across the country. Well, I've seen them done in hotel conference rooms too, because sometimes they just can't find a courtroom, but that's okay. You can try a case. You just need a place for a judge and to, you know, place for a witness to testify, a court reporter and the parties and lawyers from each side. But, you know, here in Tampa, you know, it's funny, I, I find this entertaining, but we most often try our OSHA cases in the tax court courtroom. And I don't, I just, I don't, there's probably something to be said about that philosophically. Anyway, so we use the tax courtroom. So let's take it back two weeks. Let's just go out about two weeks before a hearing. Let's say you've made it through the litigation, Mike, you haven't been able to get the case resolved. What are you doing at two weeks out with regard to, let's just focus on witnesses. What are you doing with your company witnesses to get ready to present your side of the case? When you say two weeks out, that is probably exactly when you start going through this. I do want to say before those two weeks, you always have a basic theory in your mind. You know, you know what weaknesses the other side has. You know what strengths they have. And, and same thing with your case, strengths and weaknesses. But as you get two weeks out, you really need to take an inventory, first off, of every single document that has been produced by either side in the case. And it's one thing to generally know what's in each document, but it's a whole nother level to literally go line by line. And you're looking for information that you think will help your case. But the interesting thing is you just can't think of your case. Remember, the other side gets to speak too. So you've got to anticipate how are they trying your case? So it's really an interesting, fascinating thing. You're almost trying two cases simultaneously. You're preparing your own case, and you're also thinking, how are they preparing their case? So it's it's strategy heavy at this point. You're thinking, what are their theories? How are they going to try to prove their case? Uh, the legal elements, and then the evidence, right? So that's that's a overview of it. But you start thinking at a much deeper level than, let's say, three months prior to that, when you know the case is just moving along in the normal course. Well, and also, as, as you indicate, uh, OSHA presents his case first. They go first. They, and because they are the ones, they, they, they have the burden of proof. They have to sustain the citation by the presentation of evidence and ask the judge to agree and enforce the citation. So they go first. So you're right. The first thing you're doing is anticipating what, what are your, what's your cross-examination strategy going to be for the compliance officer. Uh, you'll know who the witnesses are two weeks out. You would have to have disclosed that and they'll know your witnesses. But you've got to plan cross-examination before you plan direct examination of your own witnesses. Quick question on that is, though, in civil litigation, some folks may be familiar with the concept of depositions. But let's talk about that. I've actually tried some cases where we took no depots. We just went in and it was, I guess you call it trial by ambush. Neither side knew what the other side witnesses were going to say entirely. And you go into court. So because one of the key things there, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this, is that OSHA, actually depositions aren't required. And sometimes you can try an OSHA case with no depositions. Yes, that's certainly a, a unique aspect of these matters. So I've been told, and I believe this is true, that before any deposition is taken by a solicitor's attorney, they need to actually get permission from their supervisor to do it. So it's not an automatic thing where OSHA will take depositions or you'll take the deposition of the inspector. It really runs the gamut. There's cases where the OSHA inspector was not deposed for strategic reasons. 
because we don't want to put our hand out there and really show where we're going to go at a hearing. Um, there's other times when you certainly want to take a deposition to prove to the other side that the other side has some glaring holes in their case and it will be an uphill climb for them to prevail. Sometimes you can convince them maybe to, to voluntarily withdraw an item, but it's true. Every single case is different. If you take 10 depositions of ocean specters, every single deposition transcript might look different and the facts are always different. So you'd have to do like you really implied a lot of thinking on your feet and a lot of anticipating. Let's talk about, let's shift a little bit. That's some of the witnesses. So you, you know who they're going to call, you plan your cross-examination. You know who you're going to call, you plan your direct examination. Let's talk about the documents. What, what usually are the key documents that you're going to have for presentation of your case, whether it's planning for the cross or planning for presentation of your case? What are the key documents? I would say your health and safety program documents Regardless of the issues in dispute, I think they are always tremendously relevant because they are sort of a representation of your company. So if you you can't solely have, quote unquote, good documents and have that carry the day, but you do want to show you have a legitimate safety effort, right? You have written program documents you have additional layer of documents that prove that what you say you're going to do, you actually did do, whether it's pre-task planning, if this is construction or JHAs, whatever the case may be. Those are the critical documents. I will, just as a footnote to that, on certain affirmative defenses that get raised in cases, just one defense, let's say employee misconduct, there are certain documents you will need every time, which are disciplinary records and then also inspection records. So these are there's there's probably a set of like 10 to 15 to 20 documents that are usually relevant in any case. I'd say, you know, 75 percent or more of the time. But those are documents usually find themselves at the focus in an OSHA hearing. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I, I'm going to. I'll share my thoughts on those too. And, and, you know, you, you use the words employee misconduct, which I actually have sworn to never use those words because I think it's the, the worst named legal defense in all the law. Because when you think about it, and I, you and I haven't actually had this conversation, but we can chat about it now, is those, the four things that you have to show and present to, you know, in your hearing, if you want to try and raise that defense, have nothing to do with what the employee did or didn't do. And it has everything to do with what the employer did or didn't do. Those four things, of course, being the rule uh, that, that address the hazard, the training, the compliance piece, which is making sure the folks are following the rule. And then the fourth piece is the enforcement, your, your progressive disciplinary program. And those four things, when you think about it and present it, we do this all through the inspection and you do it at the hearing. That's the argument there is, you know, the employer did everything it could to avoid this tragedy. I just like that language better than employee misconduct, but that's that's kind of a little crusade. I'm on to change the name of the defense. I don't know if it'll be successful, but hey, I'm on I'm on a mission. So, but let me flip it over and think about it from the other side. When you're planning cross-examination, talk about how you use OSHA's file. And in particular, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts on the violation worksheets that we get from OSHA's file in the litigation. How do you use those to plan your cross? One big part of it is to point out what OSHA doesn't know, because there is this legal principle called the burden of proof. 
OSHA has to prove its case. Technically, the employer doesn't need to prove anything, only show that OSHA can't carry its burden of proof in the case. So there are four legal elements that OSHA must prove to win. And I'm just, this is generally speaking, but when you're cross-examining the OSHA inspector, one of the things you usually look to do is to show and establish that maybe OSHA can't establish one of those legal elements. For example, just to give one example, this happens a lot. Did the company through its management actually know of the violation and or hazard or should the company through its management have known? So if that violation worksheet, which does have a section that says employer knowledge, if there's nothing written in there, or there's something that really doesn't go to employer knowledge, you would cross-examine the OSHA inspector about that. In fact, the field operations manual, which is a nearly 400-page document that OSHA puts out, talks that inspectors are supposed to fill in all of this information. So if you get a violation worksheet, which is really the backbone of OSHA's case, this is a document the inspector fills out during the inspection before the citation is issued, this document is really what justifies or supports the, the um, issuance of that violation. If there's glaring weaknesses or holes or things of that nature, you would want to put point this out. I mean, this is a legal uh, determination. I mean, these are legal issues. Did OSHA or did OSHA not establish all four of these legal elements? So you've got to ask the OSHA inspector about that. And I'll tell you what, it's, so what you're telling me reminds me of some breaking news we had this morning, and I'm, I'm going to give a shout out to our, our partner and colleague in Denver, David Whistler, who won an OSHA trial uh, and never presented a case because he relied upon the strategy there was to challenge OSHA's case and to show that the government did not establish the elements that, that you're talking about, and he prevailed. So technically, the employer doesn't have to prove a thing. Um, now, you know, again, folks, all trials are different. All legal issues are different. And so this is that's not the strategy we're saying you should use all the time. But David was successful in pulling that off for those reasons. Well, this has been a great discussion, Mike. We're reaching the end of the uh, the time here this morning. But what? give me some share some closing thoughts you have to any employer who may be considering whether or not to go to a hearing and uh, and, and try their case in front of their review commission. What are your what, what do you think is like maybe one or two takeaways for our audience on that issue? Well, number one, I think you will get a very fair opportunity to have your day in court. No one would want to do something if it was futile. I think the uh, Review Commission and its administrative law judges, they do take it seriously and they do make decisions based on the evidence or lack thereof. So, and you mentioned this earlier, there might be an impression that one judge is slightly slanted this way or leans that way. I mean, that's inevitable. And then secondly, Sometimes you you do have to go to a hearing to prove your to you know to prove that you're right. OSHA won't do it sometimes just by you asking. The courts are set up so that employers have the right to really put OSHA to its proof. And in the right case, I certainly think that's something worthy of consideration. Well, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it much. My closing comment is this: I think hearings are won or lost during the inspection. And I say that because if employers wait to anticipate what they may have to do on contesting a citation, it's almost a presumption that they're expecting a citation. 
And as I've said before, I, I would rather help an employer avoid or minimize a citation during the inspection instead of winning a citation. And it often happens that sometimes an employer doesn't know, should we, you know, how should we handle the inspection? Should we wait on the citation? Different circumstances call for different strategies, but generally speaking, I think employers should consider that during the inspection period is when you are setting the evidence that you will need if you go to a hearing, if you have to contest a citation. So I just think it's a good idea for employers to always be considering during that inspection period, what might you be presenting if you do have to uh, have to go to a hearing on this, you know, sometime down the road. And usually it's it's faster than civil court. We didn't talk about a time frame, but usually it's faster. You can get to have your contested OSHA citation heard usually within about nine months, uh, usually no more than a year after you file the notice of contest. So it's fairly quick in the in the legal world. A year is lightning speed, right? That is pretty quick. <laughs> well, Mike, I wanted to thank you again for joining. I uh, I actually caught as before we got on that today was your first appearance on Dirty Steel Toe Boots, but it won't be the last. So I'll, I'll look forward to having you back on here. And and uh, thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us. And uh, folks, that's another episode of Dirty Steel Toe Boots. We'll see you again here on the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Thank you all. Thank you, Philip. Thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast. You can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service. Please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.